This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Firestarters, available at portageofmainpress.com. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. Welcome to Super Pulp Science, uh, where we talk about how genre stories get made. I'm here with... Justin Curry of Chasing Artwork. And... And Jen Storm. And Jen Storm is the author of a great graphic novel uh, illustrated by Scott Henderson and colored by Donovan Yasik. We never know how to pronounce your name, Donovan. I'm sorry. She is uh, a graphic novelist who has decided that she doesn't need any artists anymore. (laughs) She's going to do her own art from now on. And so we've started talking about some ways to do that. And uh, she's going to talk to us about her creative process today. So I have some questions for you, Jenny. Ready? Yes. Sir. You're on the spot. Yes. Okay. Hot seat. Why comics? Um, originally, I didn't make the connection of comics. Um, I've always been artistic, but like a hobbyist, naturally, um, back then. And then I was approached by High Water Press um, to do a comic. And at first, I didn't really understand what that would be like. So, But they really took me under the wing and kind of explained how comics work gave me a lot of comics to study and then from there I got really excited so at they that. knew your writing they knew your writing they knew my the, writing right. because um I was traditionally a writer so I've done a couple articles I've written a book um my big thing was I wrote a book when I was 14 Ooh. that got published so a lot wow. of people kind of remember me as this 14 year old girl like forever because right. <laughs> they're Hold like on just oh, a little second. what's with all of the these? theme of this show is bringing on people who got their science sh- figured out way short. before us <laughs> way <laughs> before we ever did their things figured out long before we did yeah it's like uh last week we had uh edrin edrin yeah who yeah started doing comic cons when he was 17 and then before that scott ford published his first graphic novel right like, out of high school at hmm. 17 18 yeah. So from now on, we're only going to bring on old codgers. Yeah. So we feel like we've done some things properly. Well, I actually feel like I wish I knew about this sooner because then I would have taken art a lot more seriously because growing up, I always, because I was around so many non-artists, I have a lot of voices telling me, you know, that's a great hobby, but don't, don't waste your time basically. And like, you need to concentrate on doing like accounting or like native studies or do something like, you know, focus more on like humanities and job paying things yeah. and art was always seen as like you do it on the side to like de-stress but you can never make money doing it so don't bother right so I wish I had that growing up or even just the knowledge I guess of graphic novels because I think I would have done this a lot sooner right but because of high water I got to make the connection and then I got really excited about bringing in art to my writing which for some reason just never clicked until now basically that I could do it right so then that's why I've been kind of like full-fledged onto it now so tell us a little about um fire starters as a story like for readers that for dear listeners who aren't familiar with it give us the like overview of it as a project um the overview of the story is about um it's kind of a bit about my own community without being a true story about my community because I would never do that to my family (laughs) but it's basically about four boys growing up in a small town with neighboring um, reserve where they share the same school but come from different communities. And there's a lot of tension that can happen, racial tension, especially like if you think about all the stuff going on in Thunder Bay. Um, If you think about Helen Betty Osborne from the Paw, it's all those tensions that come to light, especially I feel in small towns with neighboring reserves that have to share amenities and share schools and things like that where they can kind of have a really big divide, especially in schools. So I was kind of exploring that and then also trying to write a story about how kids can see themselves in the act of reconciliation Hmm. Um, because I also think when we hear about the word it's such it's taken on so much weight the word of reconciliation when it's really just mending relationships right (laughs) but it's so heavy now that people are kind of like what's my role in all of that like it just seems so political right and like what does it mean to a kid so I was kind of trying to come up with a story that kind of explains little ways of being a part of it or not because there's characters that are very not (laughs) and like come around the hard way so most people when they start their first comics projects they like you know have a duck learning how to fly or something right (laughs) Justin but you decided to tackle like a major you know socio-political issue 
well, I think from a child's point of view. Because I was approached as a writer, I didn't, and I was just like, and also with Firestarters, I was thinking, you know, like because there's a there's a big pivotal moment where there's an arson, and these two boys get blamed for it, framed for it, essentially. Um, but I was thinking like fire would look really cool artistically in a book. Right. And I was thinking all those things because it's not on me to do it. Right. <laughs> like somebody else has to do that. All right. So, so Donovan so Scott, and Scott might yeah, have been excited yeah. or they might have been like, oh, damn it. Yashik. Yashik? Yashik. Yashik. All right. So we're going to edit around this so that we only <laughs> say it properly. Right. So Just do right? a really rough cut so that proper pronunciation is plopped on <laughs> top of Yeah. Here we are talking about Donovan. Yes. <laughs> That'll be perfect. Um, okay, so how did you find... Did Portage and Maine hook you up with Scott and Donovan? Yeah. Okay, who are both uh, uh, Super Pulp Science alumni. Um, well, I haven't had Scott on yet, but he is very interested. And that goes... To, uh, um, I've mentioned before, like, my first big book project I got because my name was in at the art book bindery. They knew I was a graph designer and an illustrator and my name sat on a list for a couple of weeks and then they hooked me up with a, a writer and we worked on a book. And so for young writers and, and artists, I didn't even know that that resource existed. Yeah. See, you, but like you find like publishers and book printers and you as an artist or, or illustrator or uh, writer, get your name in there and they are the people who usually make these connections. Yeah. It's who you know, yeah. knowing what you can do, right? Yeah, see, they suggest I had no idea that that existed. So I had to have like high water come in and say, you should write a graphic novel. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, here's an artist. And then Scott was like, I think he was like inundated with projects at the time. So then he brought in Donovan to help color. Right. So it kind of became, at first it was supposed to be just me and Scott. And then Donovan came on shortly after. Right. Because we were trying to do so much in such a little time. And there was three of us. And that was a whole other thing, too. Because, like, as a writer and even as an artist, usually you're kind of working on your own for the most part. And mm -hmm. as an only child, that was something that was very dear to me. Like, I just loved playing and drawing and writing and stuff, which is how I came to this life, Suddenly you're on a team. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm on a team where I get to write a story, which was all by myself. And then Scott comes in and basically reimagines everything I just said. And it's, like, almost like reading it with fresh eyes because yeah. it's somebody else's interpretation of everything and I was like that's pretty good what was that experience like for you the first time you saw something you had only imagined only seen in your own head drawn um, by someone else <clears throat> at first I was just kind of, it was a little surreal that somebody else was invested in something I wrote because I've never seen anyone invested until like way later when they're like oh I loved your book or right. whatever and they reach out to you in some way and you're like oh thanks but to watch somebody I'm like this took this guy like hours <laughs> to explain this one scene yeah. that I said and it's like and there was this one part where because the one thing I was particular about because I tried to be really like easygoing about artistic freedom just because just I would respect it if like I'm like what you see like you know better Right. artistically than I would so yeah. I'm not going to be too like critical about and it's a downward angle or it's this type of thing like I was very freeing about that and like what he thought was best but the one thing I was really particular about was setting because I really wanted it to be from Kuching, which is where I'm from so every setting is an actual building or an actual site that's so from my reserve or did from you the send town. photo reference or did yeah. you guys go visit together I, or no I, well every, I googled like I google mapped him right the place so he could see like the cool. layout and I showed him what the store looked like, like the gas bar. Yeah. Um, I showed him what the restaurant that we'd all go to looks like. And so it's like to scale, right. except it doesn't show you inside the store. Right. So I was trying to like tell him what it looks like inside the store. And I feel like he must have had such a headache. So I was like, no, because he's like, it's, that's where all the math comes in. Right. Where he's trying to make it look like a 3D store. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, the aisles are facing the wrong way. It has to be the other way. And like little things like that where I'm sure he was like, can you just let it go? And I'm like. No. <laughs> so you gave him all kinds of freedom except for the parts that were real. Yeah. That you wanted to be real. Interesting. And like grandma's house, because it's my grandma, and right. it's my grandma's house that I used in that thing. So he'd put the like, um, I think he tried to put the stairs somewhere else that was like more aesthetically pleasing. Right. And I'm like, no, her stairs are over there. And you move them over. And he's like, ugh. And he does pencils and inks by hand, right? Yeah. So he yeah. was more like. Yeah, there's no shortcuts in Scott's work. Yeah. 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 But he's quite a. He's a. Very precise draftsman, so yeah. he's the right person for a project like that. I yeah, think. he was very, right? like, I very much appreciated, like, when I looked in the store, because, like, he even had the tiles, and you could tell he was, like, ruler and, like, mathing it out, and I was like, oh, man, like. So you paint, traditionally, you paint 
uh, in, is it oils or acrylics that you use mostly? Both. Both. Okay. Yeah. Like so. I started off with acrylic and then now I just kind of moved over into oils and just like loved it. Sorry. And just loved it. So I've been kind of going off on that. And so now I'll do like an underpainting in acrylic and then go over it with oil. Mm. Oh, wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I asked that is when you see um, the art process that Scott's using, which is this precise pencil drafting and then the inking and then digital colors, is that difficult for you to envision? Like if you're used to seeing things the way you paint them? Um, it wasn't too, no, it wasn't too bad. Cause like he'd do the outlines and he was pretty precise with his outlines even, like the pencil sketches. Um, but yeah, it wasn't too difficult to see where he was going. Cause then he'd do that. And then I made the major changes, like the steps and the aisles and all those things. And then I remember like the second, like when he did the ink and that's when you can't change as much, right? Yeah. Because it's hard to go back. It's hard to go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I remember there was one mistake, um, that you don't catch on the, pencil draft which was like a certain outfit right because there was a scene where they do um a tradition a traditional uh sharing circle kind of a restorative justice system and i had the grandma there and in the pencil sketch she was just kind of wearing a loose dress or something which didn't look out of character or anything and i was like yeah fine but then in the ink i noticed that um he had put her in a jingle dress which is a traditional regalia but it's for powwow so it's a totally different ceremony right. that you wouldn't wear in this particular setting right so i remember that was something that we had to change right. because it just doesn't make sense right but it was like kind of an example how like in the pencil it's easy to miss it right whereas in the ink because yeah, the pencils are gestural often just like yeah out what the, and you don't draw like little yeah. tiny bells at that point yeah. like it for me to picked up on it so like little things like that and then even with like once the coloring came in i thought that would be pretty self-explanatory but it's there's like little things that came up, like it turns out none of us have ever played hockey. <laughs> so, <laughs> Terrible Canadians. Oh, yeah, oh my know. gosh. Terrible Canadians. Full disclosure, I've never played other. hockey yet. Well, we well ice hockey, like just like played. hockey on the lake with friends, yes, but We're not. We're going to have like, a serious talk after this. No, week. like, I don't, no gear, right? Well, it turns out none of us knew what a hockey practice looked like. So I had to call my dad and say, like, um, do you guys wear jerseys to like represent different teams or are you just out in your t-shirt? Like, what do you do? So oh he had to God. like explain what a practice looks like or would be like, cause I assumed that they would have played and they assumed that one of us would have played. Like we all assumed somebody right. on this team So depending where you're from, played. you either <laughs> know that a jingle dress is appropriate for a sharing circle or you don't, or you know whether or not hockey practice has jerseys or not. Right. Yeah. So you can't really. But none of us knew. The whole team has to come together. <laughs> I grew up in a, a small hockey town, so I'm just furious right now. Right. Just... Tell us about hockey <laughs> practice, Justin. What's um, the essential element of hockey practice? You're going to put it on a page. What do you think people would leave out that well, should you, be there? Well, you wear it. You're in full gear because you want to be protected, right? And everybody usually just has, you have like practice jerseys, which are usually just black or white or red or whatever. Um, and then you use your like full jersey, like the, the pilot's jersey only right. comes out for games, so you don't use that for practice. It's like it's a bad thing to do to use your actual jersey during practice. Okay. Yeah. So we've all learned something. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, you already knew it, and I feel that Dan, from his face, he knew all of these things. Mm-hmm. But we're learning together, us poor, sheltered artists. <laughs> Shout out to the, the Pilot Mound Pilots. <laughs> Attention, citizens! You get a graphic novel project um, suggested to you. Did they have some suggestion as to what the story would be or did you? No, not at all. So you just came to them, this is what I want to do it about. Um, pretty much, yeah. They came up to me and said, we'd really like for you to submit something. Um, and I said, okay. <laughs> and then they said, we need, we need a plot of about this long. But that was totally news to me because I'm like, I don't know how to tell what a comic book page yeah. is when I'm writing it out like I don't know how much each bot like I, that part to me was just like beyond me I'm like I don't yeah. know how to write a story in that way so she just told me um Annalie <clears throat> the editor there was like just write like a short story like however you want to write it that you think like just finish the story don't worry about the page and how long it is and she's like and then from there I'll script it out like I'll help you with that oh so she did the panel breakdowns for you or yeah. helped do that that's yeah. fantastic yeah, and she was really good about it. Yeah. So now, and then, the, but the second time around, because I wrote for them again, because they're doing an anthology. Yeah. Um, they're like, they basically are like, okay, now you do it. Yeah, now you know how. Yeah. So yeah. did you guys go panel to panel breakdown, or did you do page beats, where like this needs to happen in this page, this needs to happen in that page, and then 
Scott kind of went from there. Um, How specific were those directions? Yeah. They were, I don't recall the word beat being in it. Okay. But it was basically like, I wrote it like as if it was like a short story. Yeah. But it was very like literal. Like I didn't put any literary prose in it at all because like I don't need it. It's basically saying then this guy said this and then this guy does this. Like right. it's very like basic. Mm-hmm. And then she wrote it out, but it was something like page one. Panel one, right. panel two, okay, yeah, panel yeah. three, yeah. overlaying, blah, blah, blah. Like right. whatever kind of words she chopped up for that. And then so she do let like you be good two. at what you were good at. And then they... And then she scripted yeah. it. And then the second time when I did it, I basically just followed her lead on that. Right. So however she does it, that's how I do it. Yeah. And I've heard other people use the word beat too. Yeah. But it's just, that's just like, even some of the lingo is still foreign to me yeah. where I'm like... Every community has its own stupid set of language that everybody <laughs> right? They're they're not. It's really not that complicated in the in the final. It's like ordering at Starbucks, right? If you've never yeah. been there, it sounds really complicated. It sounds but like gibberish. The truth is, you're just ordering a coffee. Yeah. Right. And once you find your drink, you just say that one thing over this and over again, and, over and it over. sounds like you're a pro, but yeah, you right. just kept repeating yourself. Yeah. Sounds like you're summoning a cinnamon demon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, for you, Justin, when you're laying out your pages, you're talking about beats. What's your process? Um, well, yeah, I think I, I think I probably picked up story beats from just listening to you explain it over and over again. But usually, um, ideally, when I'm working with a writer, what I like is, you know, they they tell the story. Um, and it's usually on this page, we just need character A stabs character B, you know, like that's, that's what happens on that page. You figure out how many panels, how it breaks down. So if I can do that all in just one big panel, I'll do that. If I need three panels, you know, and then one big panel below that, I'll do that. Like, but it's up to me to kind of pace how that page works. They just tell me what needs to happen on that page. Okay. So So it's up to me to break it up. I said... If I want to tell somebody about a beat, I'm basically talking about one whole page. You one panel action. it up. That's what it means. See, the fe- like my, my big worry is when I hear, like when you were describing them explaining what happens in every panel, <laughs> is sometimes you run into writers who have 20 actions happening in panel one. Oh, yeah. 23 happening in 20. You know, like it, they, yeah. they overload the panels because as a writer, it's, it's easy to like put all that information in, but visually we can only say one thing. Yeah. Only listen- one thing can be happening. Dear listeners, yeah. there's so. a really good rule of thumb. If you're laying out your panels, remember that every character can only have one verb per panel. One verb per character per panel. And then you'll never yeah. have to worry about whether you said too much to the art. The superhero yeah. lands, he punches out no the gang, and he like comes up to the, the big bad guy. All three that's panels. That's panel one. Yeah, don't, you know, no. <laughs> you know? No, don't do that. But that, that happens, happens often enough with like, yeah, just people who don't, yeah, haven't worked in comics. Yeah, like I've worked on a few anthology projects where the writers are just phenomenal writers who are being asked to do comic adaptations. Yeah. And that's the first thing that um, shows if you haven't done a lot of like you might be a phenomenal writer but yeah um one thing that you forget is how uh the mechanics of a comic book page require you to be very specific and mm-hmm. um you have to kind of reduce it down to that base element so that we only can see one action that one verb rule is a good one yeah. yeah yeah that is a good one i mean there are ways to break it and you know yeah, people who've been making comics a long time can tell you lots of different ways that you can skirt around that and make things happen but uh if you look at uh early Jack Kirby pages, right? Every character, whether they're a main character or a background character, everyone's doing something, but they're only doing one thing. And what's amazing about his work is that if you look at background characters in his early comics work, there are other stories happening in the background. I love when that happens. That he's putting in that aren't in the script, right? So there might be an angry newspaper guy who isn't being paid and someone storms off in the background of a Fantastic Four story. Oh, okay. Right? And that's him just as an artist having fun with that same notion that if I'm putting someone in the background, they should be doing something. Otherwise, yeah. I'll just leave them out. And if they're going to be doing something, then they're, he makes those also work. As... Remember the Mercer Meyer grasshopper and the spider? Yes. Every scene of like um, Little Critter had yeah. the grasshopper and the spider doing something. Oh, yeah. And it became this game. You'd tell the story, and then you'd go back, and you'd try to find them every single page. Yeah. We were going to do that with a cat in, in Cassian Tonk. The reprint, I think we're going to have to. hide to. the cat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we kind of just forgot halfway through. We were like, oh, there's the cat. No, and no, then... we totally intended to. It just became a time thing. Yeah. I... So the cat only shows up in one panel where they find it. 
She's hiding in all the others. She's still there, just hiding. Yeah. Find the cat, dear listeners. Find the Don't cat. try to find the cat. Super Pope. What is the difference to you between writing a novel and writing a comic? Oh, my God. <laughs> totally different. Yeah, but in what way? Tell us. Be deep. Um, be, uh, be specific. I guess when writing a novel, you have to do all of that heavy artistic work with words and without being blunt about it. So it can be kind of difficult because no one likes the unnecessary adjectives or like if somebody says she said snarkily or whatever, like, you know what right. I mean? It's just like kill whatever. all your adverbs. Their adverbs yeah. must die. Yeah. Yeah. So then, but I would write that to you if you were drawing it because then you could create that facial expression. Right. Whereas like when I write a book, I have to come up with a way of letting your mind do that without saying the literal word. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like painting with words to be really cheesy and it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of the difficulty of it and then also it's kind of really hard to let that go when you're writing a script for somebody else because then you have to use all those cheesy things you've been taught not to or that kind of make you like Ugh. like you know what I mean that yeah, just like that's direction an ugly in a script sentence feels like bad writing yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yet that's what you need it's to draw necessary. something yeah. like that'd be helpful for you if I said her face is snarky or yeah. she's angry like you don't mean yeah. i have to say it instead of being literal you'd be like okay jen yeah. well i i, I got a uh, a note on a on a comic page i was working on just recently where it was like you know i want her to be angrier make her angrier make it look like her face is scrunching up like she smells stinky feet yeah. right <laughs> and now it has that direction has nothing to do with the actual like quite uh, profound action within the page but now all I think of when I'm looking at it as the artist is like, and here's the moment where she smells someone's feet. But <laughs> the actual direction creates that screwed up face, that, that yeah. you know, downturned, uh, you know, pulled away feeling, which is ultimately bad writing. Like if you put that into a serious piece of prose, you yeah. would interrupt it. But you can give that direction to an artist and it doesn't interrupt the flow. I would love to read a book and during the dramatic moment yeah. that... <laughs> And then she, her face crunched up like she smelled stinky feet. Right. This is what I'm saying. And then right? she so stabbed him. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. um, and that's the thing too is that like if I were to write, like when I wrote Firestarters originally, I think I handed in eight, I want to say pages of writing. Yeah. Whereas if I would rewrite Firestarters where I knew there was no pictures, yeah, it would probably be... 45 like right. you know what I mean like there's so much totally. left out that I don't have to do yeah. but it's really hard to like get in the mindset of saying like okay literally this is literally what happens right without adding all those other things that make it interesting to read because right. reading the script is not interesting at all right. in my mind well in every panel you know if you're using that the old adage right every panel is a thousand words right then mm-hmm. so if you have you know eight panels then that's eight thousand words of text you would have had to write yeah you have to because you made Scott and Donovan do it yeah yeah it's perfect. It's the slave labor of comics writing, basically. Um, so you're 14, yeah. and you write a novel. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. I'm 30 now. You're 30 now, but when you were 14 and you wrote a novel, how did that how did that happen? Tell us about that. Okay. <laughs> um, basically, what happened? This is in the age of like dial-up, right? Yeah. So okay, I, like you have to get the setting right. <laughs> But what would happen is when I was young, I got into this phase of being an adult. Attention! And I got grounded. And my mom was very, like, very strict and very, like... Are you suggesting that sometimes teenagers are... Attention! I... Yes. And then, but also me and my mom are both very stubborn and very spiteful. And when we used to fight, it was bad because she'd be like... Like, oh, she'd catch me smoking or something. And she knew I smoked, but she still had to ground me if she ever caught me. Right. So I get caught, or if I skipped or whatever, and she'll say, you're grounded for a week. And then I'd say, meh. Like, I'd just make some stupid comment. And then she'd be like, if you talk back to me one more time, it's two more weeks. And I'm like, fine. And then, so it's like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm grounded for a month. Right. <laughs> and she's the kind that's like, very like, once I say something, that is it. Right. So if, like, there's no negotiating out of it. So now I'm grounded for a month. And the way she'd ground me, and she was a single mother too, but she was very busy. Like, she worked all the time. Right. So what she'd do to make sure that I'm, like, miserable 
is she would take the <laughs> dial-up cords with her, oh my. put them in her purse. She'd take the phone cords with her, or she'd just take the whole like cordless phone with her. Um, she'd take... I know you feel like this was horrible, but like I'm taking notes as a yeah, parent right now. Yeah, and she's right taking now. like the cable like from the TV out of the cable. Yeah. Um, like she just basically like carry around all these cables in her purse when she went to meetings for like <laughs> whatever So that the grounding doing. felt like grounding. So I it think... was real grounding. So I couldn't talk to anyone or nothing. And then like if she's home, obviously like I couldn't have done anything. But when she was away, also she'd take all the cords with her. <laughs> she like had this like trail of cords, and so I'd be home, and all I would have is Minesweeper and Word. So I got to the point, and the only time I'd see my friends is literally at school. So I'd go home, and I don't really know what prompted me. Like, I've always liked writing as assignments, and I liked the creative writing aspect of it. And then when I was grounded, I was just bored, and those are my only options. And so I started writing, and I just thought, I wonder how long of a story I could write. Like, I wonder how far I can get, because the longest I think I'd done at that point was, like, I'd buy one of those Hillroy books, and I'd just handwrite some stupid story and try to fill up a book. So this time I had a word and I kept writing and writing, but then I'd print it out and I'd bring it to school with me and I'd let my best friends kind of read it. And then they were all like, this is awesome. And like, they'd kind of have input and they'd say like, oh, this should happen next. Or what if this happened next? And is this person related to this person? And I'd be like, yeah, it is that person like from high school that I didn't like. And all of a sudden she's like some villain in a story or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I do all these things and like, so 14-year-old you is going away, writing for hours at a time, coming back, having it peer-reviewed, essentially, yes. and then returning back to the keyboard yes. every day for a, a month. A, a belt. Not every single day, but right. every time the feeling kind of got to me. Because I'd also be playing like my music that would take overnight to download. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so I have my like playlist of 12 songs that took me 12 hours to get like oh, those, I days. those days. Yeah. <laughs> Napster and Kazaa. Yeah, and, I was on yeah. Napster. Yeah. So I was doing that stuff. Shame and on then, you guys. um, it's because you write, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> print. And then from there, I actually got like a binder full. And I can't remember how many pages it was. And it was pretty like rough edited. And then I just forgot about it. And at, like when it got really heavy, like when it started writing a lot more and more, my mom noticed I was doing this and she was encouraging of it. And so she'd go to work and print it out for me because like after I'd edit something, I'd need to reprint it all out to bring right. it to school. And that's 60 pages. Right. So my mom's like, stop using the house printer. Yeah. Give me that. And I'm going to bring it to work and print it There's there another cord. where the ink is free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another cord. <laughs> So then she'd print it, bring it home, and then I'd go from there. And then when it was all done, I kind of put it on the shelf and forgot about it. Like, I didn't think about publishing it at all. I just thought of it as just something I did. But okay, my so mom... For a, for a timeline clarification, you wrote it when you were 14 or it was published I wrote when it, you were 14? I published when I, was, if, published when I was 14, so I actually wrote it when I was 13. 13. All right. And then... Now when we I feel was, even more inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> so then my mom took it and she sent it to Thetis out in BC. Right. Um, and it's the only one she sent it to. Like, she just sent it out and she thought, if something happens, cool. If nothing happens, she won't know. Right. Like, I don't need to be rejected. Oh, she did. Wow. So she didn't tell me. She just mailed it. And then all of a sudden, like, she didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, six months later, um, they contacted her or me and said, just so you know, um, we're going to go forward with the story into the second round of editing or the second round of what's it um approval or just right. some sort of board thought of if we're going to take it or not right and um from there she was like oh that's pretty cool like even if you don't get published making it to that circle is yeah, still pretty right. impressive yeah so then that's when she told to me about nominated. it and i was like what that's amazing how did, so okay so cool. how did that feel to you what, like what was on your mind like before the day that your mom told you hey remember that story you wrote i sent it to a publisher and they want it your biggest concerns were likely to be hey, what what were you thinking of? What was going on in your life? Like, how can I get an extra 20 bucks to buy cigarettes without my mom knowing? Right. It's <laughs> basically my thought process or trying to go to the mall, and then trying the to think of boys. Like, I was like not, like, it was out of my head. Like, right. I thought it was on the shelf still. Right. But my mom had printed off another one and sent it off. Right. And then, um, so then she told me about it and I think I was just in shock and I was kind of like, well, that's cool and that's interesting. And I didn't really think much of it and I didn't think it was going to go beyond that. And then they came back and I think I got a call or a letter or an email, I can't remember which, from Richard Van Camp. Yeah. Because he was on the panel at the time. Yeah. And he was like, 
you're an amazing young woman, blah, blah, blah. And just kind of like fluffed me up because yeah. he's such a good cheerleader. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, some famous yeah. person. Tell him to tell it too though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then to me, he was like famous and I, like, and I was just like super impressed by that. So then I actually got to meet him because he came to Winnipeg and then all of a sudden they, yeah, they published it. So then this whole thing opened up all because my mom grounded me and all because my mom sent it off. So <laughs> parents are right. This is what we're. And see now, out. I'm a parent, and so I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But until then, she was the enemy. Yeah. Science. Okay, so this actually circles back around to something you said earlier, and we've talked about before, um, where art is not presented as a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. It's you're discouraged as a young person from pursuing art or writing or the creative arts as a job. Mm-hmm. Is it? To you, does that feel like the power chords? Like it's just someone that have your best interests at heart, but it feels it feels awful. Yeah. Or is it wrongheaded? Is it a mistake? Um, I think it's a well-intended mistake. Right. So, like with all the best intentions, and I think because I was a writer too, and so I think like a lot of it was like focus on that right. because you've already like succeeded in some way. Like clearly, you yeah, you're gonna grow up and do that forever like you know what I mean so it was kind of I was pushed towards that but to be honest most of my time was always spent doing art not writing right so like I'd draw and like in my room I remember like every year for Christmas and birthdays I'd ask for like art stuff and I would remember drawing like every single day when I was like eight I had like this little chalkboard that ended up getting like worn out because I'd like draw on the (laughs) chalkboard every single day awesome does your does your family get annoyed um that you only ever ask for art supplies for Christmas? That I was no, like, I think they were pretty mm-hmm. happy about it because it's easy and it makes you feel good as a parent yeah. that you're like <laughs> doing arts and crafts. <laughs> it's a little too bad that like, I was just I was thinking like what you just said about um, like art not necessarily being encouraged when we're growing up, but like all those other things that are like, again, I grew up in a hockey town. How many kids are, you know, they pour so much time, money, and effort into hockey. That's never going to be a career. It's like winning the lottery when yeah. it is. Like, every mm-hmm. once in a while it is, but, like... But it doesn't stop us from encouraging people to play hockey, right? Not like, everyone's going to be in the NHL. pouring your life into hockey for that's a hockey thing, years right? as you grow up. Like, that's not going to be a thing when you're older, but, like, why, why isn't... Why do know? we do that? Yeah, why do we do that? That's a good question. Yeah. Jen, why do we do that? Well, I also think it's just because, like, as a parent, you're like, look at my kid doing physical activity and not being involved in gangs and stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think we're kind of programmed into thinking that those out-of-school activities and keeping kids busy right. keeps them from doing drugs because it's like, well, you can't smoke pot because you have to go, right. you know, play hockey tomorrow. And I'm sure yeah. that doesn't, like, stop anybody. It doesn't anybody. stop the hockey teams. Yeah. No, 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 like, you no. know what I mean? They still do their dumb things, but yeah. it might keep you out of, like different kinds of trouble maybe i don't know but that's just kind of the mentality as a parent you think if you keep your kid busy they won't get in trouble but and so i think like my parents might have thought of art in the same way because i was not a hockey kid and i was not sporty or athletic in any way so i do art and i think they just encourage that because me doing that is better than the alternative and they know what you're doing with your time yeah Okay, so you did get encouraged. But they didn't to... want me to do it as a job. No. Like, they were not being like, you should go to art school. Like, that was not right. a conversation. <laughs> Why do we do that? You know, I... Like, my parents I think had if the I best said intentions. fine art school, I right. think my mom would have been supportive, but I think my mom would have also been apprehensive. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like she was like, no, absolutely not. But it's just like, even like, it was ingrained in my mind. There's no point in that. Like that was just right. ingrained in me. I think it is true though. Like if you want, if you're good at math and your parents suggest that you become an accountant, they can see what the job will be at the end of that tunnel. Yeah. If you want to, you know, do sculpture or painting or music, they can't imagine what that job is. They can't put it into a little box. And I guess maybe stability being the thing that we want for our children, you know, not having to worry about that stuff. But even still. Yeah. Even still, your example about hockey has got me thinking about it. Like, think of the number of things that we encourage our kids to spend their time doing that have zero long-term results. But the ability to write a story or to draw a picture is introspective. Like, it forces you to see the world, to think about the world, to represent the world. And as a result, think about who you are and what that says about you. And it's, you know, I think one could argue that it's at least as important yeah. to do that mental exercise as that physical exercise and it also like flexes your empathy muscle a lot more than empathy. anything well else done, would yeah huh 
But maybe we don't need that. Maybe society shouldn't have people that feel too much because then we can't <laughs> control them, right? That's the trick. Is that it? Um, so what's your future as a comic book maker? What do you see? It's five years from today. And everything goes perfect in this five years? Is that yeah. my... Yeah. Well, the things that can go wrong are as imaginary as the things that can go right. So let's imagine them go right. Okay. So if everything goes right... I am just a natural born artist and I just learn how to do graphics. I take to it really easily. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but that's my, if everything goes perfectly right, it just happens fairly easily, but I'm sure it won't. But, um, I'd okay, be able wh to where's draw. that, where's that hesitation come from? Um, just because I don't want to be overconfident or expect perfection. Right. Because I think I need to anticipate rejection and be okay with it or anticipate struggle and be okay with it and not give up because of it. Right. Whereas like, I think a lot of people, if they're not good at something, it's too easy to be like, Oh, well I'm not good at it. So I'll do something else. So stop. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to have that mentality, but it'd be really nice if it comes easy because then I can just go further faster. <laughs> but so on the like super right path and air quotes, I want it to be easy for me, but I know it won't be because there's going to be challenges and it's a totally different artistic thing I have to learn and a skill I need to develop that's different from painting or even just pencil drawing or anything like that. But I want to be able to do it because what I'm hoping will happen is I will be able to do stories that I write and draw on my own. And that if I have something that is for the most part complete, I can probably have better chances of publishing into other places as well because I don't have to worry about always partnering up even though I love that aspect I don't want to have to rely on it yeah don't rely yeah so mm -hmm. what are the stories what aspect of your own art compared with your writing do you think will be different now that you've seen someone else do it like is there a is there a missing element that you think that adding your own work to it will I don't know, because to be honest, I don't know what it's going to look like yet. Right. Because I've never done digital, so I'm not sure right. how my art will translate. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm hoping that it's, like, because what I see in my brain and what's going to come out on the page are going to be totally different right. things, right? So you want to learn a digital tool set? You don't want to do traditional paintings as comics? You want to do digital paintings as comics? I don't even know. Yeah. Like, to be honest, like, I have no idea. Because, like, I see, like, I feel like every single graphic novel artist has literally a different style completely yeah like some mm -hmm. people do digital from start to finish some people will pencil ink and color by hand or color digitally or like you know what i mean like everyone's literally everyone's yeah. different or like this that book we're looking at here this gregory manchester yeah. right or like just like painting a whole thing which i never <laughs> anticipated being a thing which i'd like i don't think i have the i don't know if i could do that <laughs> to be completely honest right. But then, yeah, just thinking of all those things and to see how my style will develop is going to be something that I'm completely open to, but also not going to be able to really guess. Right. Like what I'm assuming is that I, if I was to guess what my style will be, I think I'm going to do pencil, ink, and then color online. But I mean, maybe I'm going to do digital start to finish. Like I have no idea. Right. Because every time I try to teach myself digital, I get a huge migraine. Right. <laughs> because it's just so frustrating. I don't know what these like cursors like it just it, like that's the one thing like I can self-teach myself with pencil and like tools but when it comes to like technology for some reason like I just don't it doesn't click for me naturally that right. I'm just frustrated so I don't know how it's gonna work out I never yeah all the programs I know really really well um most of them were from like graph design or in video games like I had to use them for a specific thing me going out of my way and learning a program like never happens it's always like it was in a situation where I had to learn to use it or I was taught how to use it. So like my plan for uh, next year is uh, Red River is kind of, um, they're, they're breaking up their programs a bit so you can just take certain classes. So I'm going to be learning 3D um, so because it's something I've always wanted to learn, something I'm not, I know I could learn on by myself, but I don't want that frustration. So I'm yeah. going to be taking like a night class to learn it because I want that like classroom environment. I want somebody kind of, you know, do this to start with, and then we'll get into that, and then we'll get into that. Right. And, you know, like, yeah. Someone so who's not I, you that you're accountable to will also help. Yeah. Right? So I, I totally understand, like, just, like, the blank sheet of, like, you know, learning Photoshop by, like, just with no prompts is, like, oh, my God. It's yeah. Like, it's so huge and, like, confusing. But Yeah. So. so that's kind of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I saw some stats somewhere that if you took all of the functions of Photoshop, 
right? Multiplied by all the other functions of Photoshop is like a trillion ways that you can use Photoshop. Like a trillion for that's exciting and also right? makes my yeah. brain that's what already like me. tingle. With I, <laughs> I, I just use it basically as an infinite collage tool and every year like two or three more sort of functions of the overall program are like, oh wow, that's a really You're using a bulldozer to make a sandcastle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But sometimes it has that laser focus, right? Sometimes you can do some really precise surgery with it, yeah. which is I like. Well, there's some pretty cool stuff you could, like cuz I've tried to do the like online tutorial thing where I like watch other people and they're like this is how you use Photoshop and then they like they do something I'm like that looks really cool and useful. I wish I could do that. And I try to do that and like I can't do that. Right. Like I don't know what you're doing. Like I need like step 1. <laughs> but even step 1 like it's just like you just need somebody who knows how to do it that's kind of in the same realm as you to use it the way you want to use it because right. me doing photo retouching like that looks cool but like I don't need that right part of it like you Absolutely. know what I mean and even like the people that are drawing from scratch I'm like that looks really cool and you're doing all these layers but I don't know what any of that means and like even as you're explaining it it's just mush in my brain <laughs> like I don't understand like I need to actually like sit down with somebody and do it but none of that what I find fascinating is none of those uh apprehensions are stopping you from trying to make comics yeah. And I think that the majority of people, those are the reasons they don't. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's the difference? What's the secret? Why? You, how come you can decide and others will give up? Um, I think, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I feel like there's a lot of people living out their fear more than they are living out their drive. Right. And so, and I feel like, and there was a time when I feel like I did that too. Like when I didn't want to go to art school and I wanted to pursue, and, and I don't regret any of the skills I have because it's made me professional. And I feel like if I didn't have all those jobs and administrative things that I've done in my life, that I would have a hard time networking. I'd have a hard time being professional and meeting contracts and deadlines and having like mutual respect in a professional level. So mm -hmm. I'm really glad I have that background. But at the same time, there came a point where I was sitting at work and I feel like the further I'm going and advancing in this life, like the money is not, like I was chasing money for a long time. And I feel like as a student or a young person, that's kind of what you're trained to do mm -hmm. because you want that security and you want those nice things. And you want to feel like if I want something, I don't have to feel like I have to save up to have it. Like if I want something, I go get it. Right. But then it became to a point where I'm like, I wake up waiting for 430. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. that's no way to live. It's Absolutely. not worth it anymore. So then I was just kind of like, I'd rather do what I want to do instead of waiting until I retire to do it. Because like, who wants, like, as much as, like, I hope I'm still painting when I'm 60, but I don't want to live a whole life I didn't want to live yeah. just to pay my dues to paint. Right. When I'm like, there's so many people out there that are doing it, so I'm going to do it. Super pumped. Justin, uh, tell us about your retirement. I retired at 27 because, well, I'm still working, but um, the whole idea that you retire so you can do what you want. Right. I have, um, I know people who have retired and they have no hobbies and like there was nothing waiting for them at retirement. And so they went back to work. They unretired and went back to work until they were basically forced to retire again. <laughs> and then I don't know what they're doing with themselves. Um, I always thought like when you retire, you're going to like, that's when you do what you're passionate about. So at 27, I left my, the, my job at a video game company and I'm doing exactly what I thought I'd be doing when I retire. I'm painting all day and then I, I go to events and I sell my paintings and sell my books. I make books and then I go sell them. I'm doing exactly what I wa wanted to do if I didn't have a, a day job. In right. You yeah. turned it into your day job. It turned it into a day job. Yeah, it became the day job. It became job number two while I was working full time. And then I was just like, well, why am I working two jobs? I'll just work the one that I like more. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of what I feel like I'm doing right now. Like taking a year off that life to pursue yeah. this one. And so after this year then, you know, for Justin too or for me, if you got hit by a bus, right? Sorry. If you got hit by a bus, right? You'll at least know that you spent the last year doing what you were wanting yeah. to do. Like I right? feel more like, and, and I remember, because I've only been retired for three weeks right <laughs> <laughs> i'm new yeah. new to retirement <laughs> but i remember when i made the decision and it felt right and it was scary but i saved up money and so that i can have time because i know i'm not going to make money right out the gate or right. whatever right but um i wake up feeling 
like I and I also was like okay you need a schedule because I don't want to be in that mode where I sleep in too much or I just take forever doing my social media stuff and then I don't do anything productive and then all of a sudden I'm like what am I doing right so I tried to make a schedule but then I realized after the first week that I didn't need it like I wake up and I'm already motivated and I already know what I want to do so you were afraid that the time would be misused but once you realized you had it you didn't want to waste it yeah my big fear was always not that I would I would sleep in, but then I would work till three, four in the morning, and then wake up at two in the afternoon. You know, like I reversed my sleep schedule right. at one point, and that was kind of scary. Yeah, that's when you're working. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have minded that, but the thing is, I have a kid. There you go. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, so my precious hours are when he's in daycare. Yeah. And then I have the three hours of family time that I feel more present in. Yeah. Because whereas when I came home from work, I was like exhausted mentally. I just was like looking forward to four thirty, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to my kid eating. And just being out of my hair so I can do the things I wanted. But at the same time, I can't mentally be in painting when I have a three-year-old because right. he either wants to paint with me and it's oil and I can't let him. Yeah. <laughs> or he's making a mu- and I can't like not watch him. Like, you know right. what I mean? So it's like, and then by the time eight o'clock rolls around and he's actually sleeping, I'm tired and I want to just let my brain melt <laughs> right. and go to bed. So you think you, well, it sounds like you are feeling like a better parent more engaged parent now yeah because I'm doing what I like I'm feeling I'm learning again which is great and then I'm also doing what I love like if like and every time I like finish a painting or if I'm like right now I'm working on um a contract with MF NERC to do um editing an anthology so I'm still like being able to use that muscle right. like of my administrative life and emailing people and bugging them <laughs> professionally <laughs> to get their stuff in or whatever you know what I mean so I still get to use all those skills if I'm not in the mood to do art or if right. I'm not in a creative mood I can still do other things like so I have my hands and everything and I'm talking to people and it's just been fulfilling so that when my son does come home I'm engaged we're watching movies together I'm feeding him I put him to bed and sometimes I do work until 11 to finish something too but I have that energy again right because well, you invested in it yeah because I don't feel like I'm putting all my soul and energy into something that's not for, fulfilling. For but now that I'm else. fulfilled, I feel like a lot more energetic. How but again, I'm new. It's been three weeks. <laughs> what uh, do you think advice you would give to people who are feeling caught by their day job, but don't have the opportunity to leave it? You know, you can't just, it's, it's mm-hmm. impractical for most people um, to just say, okay, screw this. I'm yeah. just going to run off and, you know, sit in the studio and paint news instead right <laughs> what do you say to those people like how do you not resent the work you must do in order um, to make space for the work that you must do for yourself what i did well the reason why i left wasn't just because i was like like flip the table but like it was very like, you know like there's some moments where opportunity and circumstance just line up perfectly that it's kind of like jump now or you're never going to jump. Like, you know what I mean? So I took that jump. So I feel like if you see your life lining up that way, that you should go for it, if it, if it fits, but before it fits, like even last year when I was working on, like when, um, high water approached me to do that work, um, a part of me was like, where am I going to find the hours in the day? Cause right. this is when I was working full time, coming home tired. And I was like, I, like, I can't, but what I would do was I'd set dates so basically like kind of um i think it was every wednesday because i had a four month time window i think to do this contract because i needed to know what my time frame was that i can put into it um so i had four months and my mom helped me out and so every wednesday which was the best day for her she would pick up my son from daycare and keep him overnight oh wow so from work i would leave work knowing i'm gonna go right and i'd go to a library because at the time i needed to be away from home because right. another thing I notice is if I come home especially if I work all day I feel like I have to do the dishes like I have to pick up because totally. I like yeah. there's stuff you have to do that you don't want to do at 11 at night right you know what I mean and I feel like I need to have all that set up and then I'll write and then all of a sudden it's 9 30 right you know what I mean so mm-hmm. I had to be away from the home in order to like focus and write and so I'd and then Wednesday was the night that my local library was open late so, oh. so I kind of like lined perfect. everything up yeah, yeah. So that I'd stay on the late nights of the library and it was fairly quiet, do my thing, write things out, concentrate, and then go home. And then, so I think if you're in a place where you still need to do your nine to five, if you give yourself 
like a scheduled time that mm-hmm. you allow yourself to do creative endeavors and ignore home life and ignore all those things and it kind of prepares you for the rest of your week instead of just trying to scatter things around totally well it sounds like in order to make things you didn't worry about the muse right you didn't yeah. wait for some wonderful epiphany to arrive you just said here's when it's time to work yeah and here's when it's time to do something else yeah basically and I think, yeah, like with creative blocks or if you don't have a story and an opportunity comes, like just like say yes more often because <laughs> that's another thing I learned too is that just by like agreeing to do things, more opportunity, come, like more comes to you if you say yes. And now that I've given myself all this time, I say yes a lot more often. Whereas like if I was still in my old life, I wouldn't be here doing this right now. Mm-hmm. So this is an opportunity that came because of saying yes more. We often say that about... Um for visual artists like events like we like we sign up for every single little market and convention and thing that we can and what that does is it drives you to prep for that event Mm -hmm. and try to have something new try to do something different for that event and once you have all those events lined up you don't realize how much work you're getting done in between. You're just surviving you know you're getting prepped for the next event the next event the next event before you know it you've done like quadruple the work that you would have if you said no to all those events and just tried to get stuff done you know it you drives you it like yeah. lights a fire under your butt to get get things sorted for that so justin you think signing up for all those events creates an internal deadline like a i short- think so absolutely like once i started doing conventions my productivity like went tenfold because i had somewhere where all that drive and passion was ending up right before it was for me and i was still doing stuff but now that i knew October 30th, I'm going to the new or the uh, the Winnipeg Comic Con, and a couple thousand people are going to see my stuff. I want more than just two paintings. I want twelve and a little comic book and postcards and right. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, saying yes to to opportunities and events, I think is is huge if you want to be getting things done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's a great note to end it on, everybody. Just say yes to the opportunities <laughs> that are presented to you. Uh, thank you, Jen, for being on the show. Thank you, Justin, for putting up with me at the studio. Um, those people who are listening, I want you to join the fight and make comics. Make comics.